to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. What difference, what difference does the truth of Christmas really make? Ara Chivijan lost his father during the Armenian genocide in Turkey many, many years ago. And as soon as his oldest son, Stephen, was old enough to understand, Ara went to his son and said, he gave him a gun, and he said, when you find the people, or if you ever find the people that took the life of your grandfather, you're going to kill them. In fact, if you find them and you don't kill them, you're no longer my son. Some years later, Ara Chavijan became a Christian. And on the day he encountered Christ, he went to Stephen and asked for the gun. He told his son, if I ever meet those who killed your grandfather, I will throw my arms around them and tell them that I love them. Where did he get that kind of love? I'll tell you where he got it. He got it from the Spirit of God, the God who is love and has manifested that love through his Son. Christmas the incarnation really does make a difference. Now, it's hard to imagine that kind of love, isn't it? Granted, I recognize that's a really hardcore example. It's really tough to imagine. But not only can we imagine it, but we can experience it. Whose sin did Jesus take on the cross? Mine and yours. We can experience because God's love as the Apostle Paul reminds us, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. Can you imagine the difference that it would make in our world if people would simply allow God's Spirit to do his work within each one of our hearts? When I was a kid, some of you guys will remember this show, Happy Days was a popular show, and one of the main characters was a guy named Fonzie, Arthur Fonzarelli, and he was played by an actor named Henry Winkler. And recently, Henry Winkler said something that I think, quite honestly, is profound. In light of so much political turmoil and so much tension on the world stage and so about so many different things, Henry Winkler said, how can we so dislike each other just for having a point of view? That is insane. I mean, if you looked up insanity, if you looked insanity up, that would be the definition, end quote. Listen, as Christians, not only are we supposed to avoid disliking others, but we're supposed to love others. So with that as the background this morning, we continue our series, A Christmas to Remember. This is part four in the final installment. And we find ourselves today in the gospel according to John, John chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading with verse 1. If you're able, I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 1 and verse 1, where John the Apostle writes as follows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, the last three times we were together on Sunday mornings, we spoke about some things that we need to remember. And since at least half of you guys weren't here, we're going to review. At Christmas, we remember the sinless life of Jesus. At Christmas, we remember Jesus provides forgiveness from sin. We remember that prophecy is fulfilled. We remember the truth that God is for us. At Christmas, we remember the eternality of Jesus. That is, that Jesus has always existed. And then at Christmas, we remember our fellowship made possible through Jesus. We continued and said that at Christmas, we remember joy. At Christmas, we remember and proclaim the message from Jesus. At Christmas, we remember God's light. And finally, we noted at Christmas, we remember victory over sin and evil. So based on this particular beautiful text on this Christmas Eve morning, what else, what else do we need to remember? Five things briefly. First of all, we remember the Word. We remember the Word, verse 1, back in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word is a translation of the word logos. As John uses the term, it maintains essentially a dual reference. Logos, that is the Word, refers to the powerful, creative Word of God in the Old Testament, by which the heavens and the earth were created. Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For example, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible records, and God said, there's the word, and God said, let there be light. God created with his own word. This is the spoken word, but logos can also be a reference to the unspoken word. It also refers to the word still in the mind, that is, the reason, the rational principle that governs all things. In other words, Jesus is seen as both creator and sustainer. 
He created it all and he sustains it all. He does the creating and yet he holds the universe together too. Jesus is himself the rational principle, in this case, person that governs all things. So we have the written word, the Bible, to guide us. And we have the living word of God, that is Jesus to save us. So we remember the word. Not only do we remember the word, but secondly, we remember Jesus as creator and sustainer. Verse one, yet again, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. We remember Jesus as creator and sustainer. John opens his course with a deliberate echo of Genesis 1-1, which states, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John begins by stating, In the beginning was the Word. He is, of course, talking about Jesus. He is reminding his readers that Jesus has been present always. I shared earlier in our series that Jesus has always been, that is, he has always existed. Although he did not become flesh and blood on earth until some 2,000 years ago, he has always been part of the Godhead. Remember, one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You're familiar, some of you are familiar with the Nicene Creed, perhaps. Suffice it to say, as Nathan Jacobs observes, in the most basic sense then, Nicene Trinitarianism affirms that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct individuals or subjects who share a common nature, namely the nature of God. We believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, comprising one God, a triune God, tri-unity. John's readers would have readily understood this reference to the word at this point. John is here identifying Jesus, and he is saying that Jesus is not only the powerful creative word of God, as in the creating sense, as we noted from the Old Testament, and he is the organizing and unifying force of the universe, but also this word became flesh. This man, the Word, became flesh, the God-man, Jesus, John will state in verse 14. So we need to do what we can to grasp the fact that Jesus is God come to earth as a human being. God, God come to earth as a human being. John and other biblical writers embraced that truth. For example, look at chapter 1, verse 18. This is an allusion to Jesus who has made known the Father. All that Jesus is and all that Jesus does explains who God is and what God does. In the Bible, we read how the winds and the waves obeyed Jesus. He had the power, remember, to still the storm. He still does, by the way. Jesus is Lord, remember? He is the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 teaches this truth as well. Speaking of Jesus, the writer notes, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus bears the stamp of the Father. He is the exact duplicate of the nature of God, making him exactly equal to God the Father in every attribute. And you say, so what? So what? So this truth 
This truth dispels the myth that God is a far distant dictator waiting in heaven to zap you when you get out of line. If he were, you'd be gone. And so would I. That ought to make you happy. It does me. How did Jesus treat those who messed up? He cared about them. Remember? How did Jesus treat the poor? He cared about them. Remember? How did Jesus deal with people who were being condemned by those around them? He had compassion on them. Remember? Remember the woman caught in adultery? What did Jesus do when he saw the crowd condemning her? He confronted them and he comforted her. So many people spend their whole lives trying to figure out who God is when the answer is really pretty simple and very clear. When you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, don't forget it's a book, above all, about God. And when we read it, we find out an awful lot about God. Particularly, we find out so much in reading the gospel accounts of Jesus. Jesus apparently liked being with people. He enjoyed a good meal with friends. He celebrated at a wedding. He wasn't too busy or too important to pay attention to little children. He even went fishing. Because, I mean, somebody's got to tell when the fishermen are lying, right? He appreciated time with his closest friends. He was outdoors a lot. So Jesus, in the flesh, enjoyed life here on planet Earth. In the book of James, we're reminded that all good things in life come from God. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So how should all of this color our perspective about God. From where did laughter come? What about other simple joys? Listen carefully to me, brothers and sisters. Everything from laughter and joy to uh, butter pecan ice cream cone, anybody hungry yet? To a good ball game, to sharing stories over coffee, to birds singing, to the smell of fresh cut grass, to a toddler's chocolate covered face. It all comes from God. While far too many Christians have given God a bum rap because of their sour disposition. You know, a lot of Christians look and act like they've been baptized in pickle juice. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Please understand that our God, our God is the creator of everything that is good and pleasant and lovely and wholesome and enjoyable and right. The point is God is not a great cosmic killjoy. After all, when he came... He came as a baby. He came as a baby. Of all that is good in life, is there anything more beautiful and more filled with hope than a baby? They embody such promise. And no greater promise has ever been given than on that night God became a man. The night Jesus was born. So we remember the word, we remember Jesus as creator and sustainer. Number three, we remember that Jesus is the source and subject of spiritual radiance. We remember he is the source and subject 
of spiritual radiance, verse 4, and then verse 5 back in our text. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The life that is in Jesus is the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and it cannot be overcome. I need to take a moment here to say something, strictly speaking at this point, about the Bible. The Bible is not just a history book. It's not a book that offers us 10 easy steps to anything. Its main purpose, listen carefully, contrary to what you may be told this afternoon by some TV preacher, its main purpose is not to build your self-esteem or to teach you how to win friends and influence people. The Bible does not always make us feel warm and fuzzy. Neither is it primarily a list of rules and regulations. It's not a manual on how to deal with politics in America today. It's not a manual that deals with impeachment arguments from both sides of the aisle. But it does remind us an awful lot about how we're supposed to treat our fellow human beings. Can I get a witness? And it makes a pretty big deal tongue-in-cheek, a pretty big deal about how all people are image bearers of God, which is also why we treat all people with respect. The Bible is primarily a book about God. When you read it, you find out about God. When you find out about God, you're finding out about Jesus. And when you find out some things about Jesus, one of the many things you discover is that Jesus loves people. And when you find out When you find out he loves people, you discover he loves people so much he was willing to come and die for them. One of the tactics of the new atheist movement as they belittle Christians for our belief is that they talk about how mean God must be to send people to hell. May I remind us, we're condemned already. God God isn't sending people to hell. In fact, God, through Jesus, has made a way to escape the condemnation that's already resting upon us. I've read the Bible, and I've read about hell, and listen, you don't have to go there. You don't. It's what Christmas, at some level, is all about. So Jesus came to die in your place, and when you find out that truth, there are an awful lot of things that take a back seat in your life. Jesus is the light of the world. John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It hasn't up to the point John writes. It still hasn't. And listen carefully, brothers and sisters, it never will. Just like the people in John's day who didn't understand Jesus, the truth is most, most of the people in our world haven't understood the light either. I'm afraid a lot of Christians might not fully grasp it either, but perhaps more than at any other time of the year, Christmas brings good perspective. You can understand the light. You can know God. That's the perspective that we need. We need a reminder that God gave so much. You may have heard about the teenager who bought his girlfriend an orchid. It was the first orchid that he ever purchased, and it was the first one that she ever received. And there was a card with the orchid that read... With all my love and most of my allowance. (laughs) Well, God said, with all my love and all my allowance. I love you 
that much. So we remember the Word, we remember Jesus as creator and sustainer, we remember that Jesus is the source and subject of spiritual radiance. Number four, we remember how we become children of God. We remember how we become children of God. Look with me, please, at verse 12 in our text. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I know this flies in the face of the gospel according to Oprah. Everybody is not a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God. But we become children of God in this way. Only those who believe in Jesus become children of God. In fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus reminds us that he is, he, Jesus is, the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So how does one become a child of God? With a childlike faith. The truth of the matter is, and I don't mean this to sound condescending, but I feel sorry for unbelievers. In fact, so often in my interaction with them, they, they stop talking about the things of faith and instead they resort to just insulting Christians for our belief. I feel sorry for them because they think they know more than they really do. I enjoy talking theology and I am, in fact, intellectually spurred on in deep conversations about the Bible. But can I tell you guys something? Of course I can. I've got the microphone. <laughs> I'm a kid at heart. And I still have a childlike faith. And it's sad to me because unbelievers miss all that. They miss the simple joy of trusting. We've talked a few times this month about the virgin birth. I I can't explain the virgin birth, but I can trust that God caused it. It's a beautiful thing to be a child of God. It's a beautiful thing to be able to trust God. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, the grounds for belief and disbelief are the same today as they were 2,000 or even 10,000 years ago. If Joseph had lacked faith to trust God or humility to perceive the holiness of his spouse, he could have disbelieved in the miraculous origin of her son as easily as any modern man. And any modern man who believes in God can accept the miracles as easily as Joseph did. So we remember the word, we remember Jesus as creator and sustainer, we remember that Jesus is the source and subject of spiritual radiance, we remember how we become children of God. Number five, and we're going to land the plane, we remember that God became a man and dwelt among us. God became a man and dwelt among us, verse 14 in our text, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John says that God made his dwelling with people, it literally means that God pitched his tent among us. He camped out here. I love the fact that God is willing to identify with us, to spend time with us, to simply be with us. That he's not some far off, distant deity. But even as I read John's words about this in John chapter 1, I can't help but be drawn to Revelation 21, which offers a picture of God permanently being with us. There John writes, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I love that. 
And then for those of you who need this, this Christmas, you remember what John says right after that? He says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things is passed away. So why did the Son ultimately come to earth? Why the incarnation? To get to the cross where Jesus would bleed and die for humankind. Listen, we cannot comprehend fully that kind of love. But the fact that it's so vital to our understanding of God demonstrates we have to try to comprehend it. Steve Brown tells the story of how one summer both of his daughters were in other countries on mission projects. This is what he writes. He writes, my older daughter Robin was in Europe working in youth hostels in a number of countries and Jennifer was in the Dominican Republic helping build churches. Needless to say, I was terribly worried about them both. I knew how I ought, I knew how I ought to have felt. I ought to have been proud that they were sharing their faith in Christ. And I suppose I did feel such pride. I ought to have been glad that my daughters loved God enough to go to a sinful world. And I guess, I guess I really was, but mostly I was worried. And sometimes I thought, there isn't a sinner in the world who is worth either of my daughters. Those were the thoughts I had one particular day, and I was telling the father about them. But then he reminded me that if he had felt that way, I would have never known his love. He reminded me again that he loved the world, that he gave his only son, and that nobody in the world was worthy of that gift. For how many people would you be willing to die? For how many people would you be willing to give your child to die? As we contemplate those questions, we at least begin begin to see the depth of the love of God demonstrated so many years ago when Jesus was born on the earth. Christmas. Christ, the Savior, is born. Don't you forget it. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.